0: I want to start off today by saying, what is righteousness? Like, the Bible mentions it uh, a bunch of times. We hear of being righteous and, 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 you know, righteousness, but what exactly is righteousness? I looked it up, the Bible mentions it over 500 times, in some translations even 600 times. Okay, so it's got to be of some importance, it's got to mean something, you know? But what does it mean and do we have righteousness? Well, a short answer to that question is this that unless we are in Christ, okay, we are not seen righteous in the sight of God, okay? <clears throat> so we know this. We know that God is righteous. It means that all that God is and all that he does is right, okay? Unlike us, unlike me, right? Let me let me let me give you this. Psalm 7 verse 11 says this, that God is a righteous judge. Okay? The word righteous means to be just, lawful, correct, okay? Innocent and guiltless. Right? All of these attributes describe God himself. Okay? So, even though we can... Still do things like, like the Ten Commandments and those commands. Even though we can still follow some of these, we're not fulfilling all of them. Okay, so so let me let me explain. Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 48. No need to turn there just yet. I'm gonna explain it. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. First Peter 1, 15 to 16 says, as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Matthew 5, um, verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, to me that presents a huge problem because I'm reading those three scriptures and I'm not going oh, well, Matthew 5, uh, 48, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and going, all right, I got that one, you know, I'm good to go. Like, that, that's just not the case, that's just not how it, it, it is, but, but there's good news, because we can obtain righteousness and we, be, we can become holy and blameless through the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus' righteousness then became our righteousness, right so when we come into jesus we come into righteousness <clears throat> so we know that we can never be perfect in the flesh okay we know this so god solves this problem all right and he does it through his son jesus second corinthians 5:21 says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? This is how we are made righteous. Through Jesus. Not through ourselves. Not through our own merits. Because we can never be able to achieve that on our our own, by by ourselves. Okay? We cannot make ourselves righteous because our efforts are like filthy rags before God, says Isaiah 64, verse 6. Okay? So thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus and all of His righteousness, because guys, we couldn't do it ourselves. We could have never done it ourselves. That's why God says uh, sends His Son Jesus. Okay, let's open our Bibles now. Um, whether it's iPhone, uh, smartphones, whatever we got, uh, let's let's flip to Matthew uh, chapter six, verse one. We're gonna we're gonna start it off at verse one. We all there? Yeah. Okay. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now, let's stop there. That seems a little demanding, doesn't it? Like, that seems like a little bit much. Like, shouldn't God just care that we're trying our best to be righteous? Like, someone's out there repping his name, repping Christ, they're out there for him? Well, well, no, because God cares. God cares about the motivations of righteousness, not just righteousness itself, not just being righteous for all the wrong reasons. He wants us to be righteous for the right reasons. Okay? Matthew 6, verse, uh, so yeah Matthew six uh, 2-4. to We'll pick it up at verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that you may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, for they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you okay so our motivations are geared towards pleasing God not man right so when we do these things when we are practicing our righteousness in front of others okay we are not doing it to be pleased by them we are doing it to please our father okay so so our motivations there matter Right? Jesus is telling us that the motivations to righteousness matter, not just righteousness itself. Okay? Another example. Uh, turn with me, Second Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so it's the same thing in here with giving. So it's not the giving or generosity that God loves, but a heart that delights in being generous. So it's not the action of the giving that God loves. So it's not that when the offering bowl comes around and people are looking, we feel um, under under compulsion to give, or that we we, we got to give because oh, Eros is looking at me, I better give twenty dollars. No, that's, that's not what God is after. He's after the heart of giving. Does this make sense? <laughs> so the motives matter. Okay, I find that for, for, for motivations in obedience, we can have two different uh, reasons. We have our primary reason, and then we have secondary reasons. So a couple days ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, I was with the twins. We were on our way back from the gym or men's prayer. I can't remember what it was. And we started to talk about primary motives and secondary motives for um, being faithful to our wives, or the, their wives in this case. And so I asked Eros, I said, um, what is you, why, why are you faithful to Jill? And his, his response was, well, I love Jill. And that's a very good response. So his primary motive is the fact that he loves Jill. Okay? So then I began to think, his secondary motive, for those of you guys that don't know this, is a phenomenal <laughs> cook. Ate at their place, she does a really good job. Really good job. So for Eros's case, his secondary motive is the fact that she's a great cook. Yes, yes, his, right? So yes, his primary motive is the fact that he loves Jill. Okay, he loves and adores Jill. Right, Jill is beautiful. He loves and adores Jill. But his secondary motive is that she's a great cook. So if Eros, if Eros sees a beautiful woman walking down the beach, uh, and the first thing that's not coming to his mind is Wow man, she's beautiful, but what am I going to eat? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just that's just not how it goes. That's not how it is, right? It's it's the love it's the love that he has for Jill is that what propels his marriage. Is that what 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 strengthens his marriage, which what allows his marriage to go forward. Right? Not not the fact that she's a great cook. Yes, sometimes <laughs> Yes, sometimes secondary motives do come into, into play when the primary motive does lack, but, but who wants to live there? Who wants to live in a place where um, under secondary motives, under the fact that she's a great cook, or you know, and being unfaithful, the, the impact it will leave on our children, the, the, the scars that, that, it will, that it will bring, the fact that it will um, affect the, the way they step into marriage, all these sorts of things. So let's live in the primary motive. Mm-hmm. let's turn to 2nd Corinthians 5 verse 14 and 15 we're going to talk about um, primary motives for Christian believers primary motives for being obedient to God <clears throat> says this for Christ's love compels us it compels us in other versions controls us okay because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died okay so this is Paul speaking and and Paul for who hated Jesus Christ turned into becoming one of the greatest missionaries our faith has ever known okay now that's big that's big. We're taking Paul here, Paul of the Masters, who was, who was slaying Christians. Now God transforms his heart into becoming one of the greatest missionaries our faith has ever known. Okay, now that's big. But what, can Paul t- what compels Paul? The love of Christ. That's what compels Paul. That's Paul's primary motive. Okay? Now, Paul's obedience is a little bit different than what we're uh, what we're used to, what our obedience looks like, right? So if any of us have read Acts, we know that the Spirit testifies to Paul on the way to Jerusalem saying, what awaits for you is, is, is affliction and imprisonment. So on the way to Jerusalem, God is saying to Paul, what awaits for you when you get to Jerusalem is imprisonment and affliction. Now that's a different type of, type of obedience than what I'm used to, Right? I've never been to that place where what awaited for me is affliction and imprisonment, okay? But the love of God compels him. The love of God compels him to go to Jerusalem, to go to the prisons. The love of God. The love of God is what compels us And that love manifests itself in the works in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I wasn't going to do this. We have been justified by God in Christ. We have been... Adopted, called sons and daughters. Our condemnation that we have earned through our rebellion against Christ has been fully paid for, fully bought, fully dealt with. Wiped clean, we are seen holy and blameless in His sight. God does not waver in His electing or choosing. He does not regret it. He does not regret choosing you. He does not think, well, ah, that was a bad idea because look at the way they're, they're, they're not faithful. They're not obedient. Look at the way that that's going. No, he does not regret it.
1: He does not regret his love for
0: you. Even when we do let him down, I don't always stick with him, but he always sticks with me. When we are his, we are his. And no one can take that away from you. No one. You have done nothing and can do nothing to turn God's love and affection away from you. And that's what Paul's saying compels him. That's Paul's primary motive for obedience, is the love of God. Let's let's go to verse 15 now. And he who died, sorry, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Okay? Now, how many of us here have young children or have had young children? Show of hands. That's a a good portion of the room, right? So we know that with little children, everything's about them. Everything's Mine, 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 this is mine, that's mine, that's not yours, it's mine, right? We, you know what I mean? I'm surprised I didn't get an amen there with other <laughs> Right? But I think as humans, living outside of the gospel, okay, live under this mentality of, what about me? You know? What about me? What about what I want? What about what I deserve? Right? What about what, what, about what I want? What, what, what about me? Right? I think that as, as as people living outside of the gospel, okay, and, and this mentality of what about me, okay, listen, is what makes you so miserable. That mentality of what about me is what makes us so miserable. Okay. The more you make your life about you, the more miserable you are going to be. One of the great paradoxes in the scriptures is this, is that the one that wants to gain his life actually loses it. And the one that loses his life actually gains it. Right? But this compelling love of God found in Christ completely rewires our hearts, okay, reshapes our minds, okay, so that this mentality of what about me, okay, is completely vanished, completely gone, right? and now frees us to live for someone other than ourselves. So that's one of the amazing things about the gospel. It frees us to live for someone other than ourselves. So that's one of the, uh, sorry, and the fact that it rewires the way we see ourselves so that obedience isn't difficult under the love of God, because we see ourselves differently. Right? Ultimately, we live for someone other than ourselves not for ourselves. I find that sometimes in conversation with people, conversations move away from God's severity, move away from His immensity, move away from the fact that God is terrifying. God is terrifying. Hear me out. What court are you going to take God to? Who are you going to complain about God to? Right? I know some of us do complain about God. I know that we do, but as far as I'm concerned, God hasn't spent any time in lockup. God's never been to jail. There's no one that can control God's power. There's no one that can control God. There's no one God has to answer to. Right? In fact, in Isaiah 6, verse 5, it says this Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the throne the year that King Uzziah died, and response is, Woe is me. Not, yo, what's up, Lord? Give him a high five. You catch that game last night? No, that's not how he said. It. It's woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have seen the king sitting on the throne. That's his response to God. Not 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 a buddy from high school, right? His response is, "Uh uh-oh, you know. (laughs) So when you make God out to be someone that He's not and not the sovereign God that He is and the ruler of the universe, then you lose a kind of fear or motivation to walk in obedience to all He's commanded. So let me see if I can clarify this a little bit more. Turn with me, Hebrews 12, chapter 7. Sorry, Hebrews 12, um, yeah, uh, verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as, as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and sons. Furthermore, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected that. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now there's a little... It's a little different between earthy fathers... Uh, Sorry, discipline and God's discipline, right? Like the way our, our earthly father's discipline looks a little bit different than the way God discipline. So, you know, I remember some of my, I was luckily never enough to go through severe beatings as a kid. Um, but I, I remember playing sports in like, you know, the backyard with some of my friends. And, and we would use kind of like the fence as a, as a net for soccer, right? And we were told so many times, don't shoot against the fence, you're going to break the fence. Don't shoot against the fence, you're going to break the fence. What do we do? Well, that just stirred up a whole game about who can break the fence now, right? So, so we'd end up breaking one of the paneling on the, one of the wood panels on, on the fence, right? And what waits him is, is discipline, is a beating, right? Whereas God is not like that, right? God is not like that. God is patient with us, okay? He is kind. He is tender with us, okay? And thank God for that because I'm not always obedient. I'm not, But his love is always there. His his, his kindness is is, is there. You know? In fact, God says to us, ask me that again. I delight in taking care of you. I delight in it. I love it. I love to hear from you. If our earthy father is going to say, ask me that again, that's a full-on threat. We probably shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right? So, God disciplines to bring about the desired result of righteousness. Okay? So, the Lord disciplines his sons and his daughters. And so, that's motivation for obedience. Okay? Uh, A few months ago, I was at work and uh, I was in the truck. I was on my way uh, somewhere far out in the East End. And my supervisor had called me. And uh, we were talking about work. And uh, at the end of the conversation, he says to me, he goes, um, he goes, hey man, can I ask you a random question? I said, yeah, sure. He goes, um, what is your faith in? And I said, uh, I'm sorry? Like, what do you mean, what is my faith in? He said, well, what's your religion or, or, or what do you believe in? And I said, well, I'm not religious. I said, but I do believe in God and I do believe that that Jesus is the Son of God. He says to me, he goes, well, that makes sense then. And I said, What do you mean that makes sense? He goes, well, I've never heard you swear before. And I've never seen you fly off the handle and when things go wrong, you just react and you get so angry. He goes, the way you handle certain situations is just different than the way I've seen before. He goes, but there was something different, there's been something different about you and I never knew what it is or what it was until now and that makes a lot of sense. And so we end up spending like 40 minutes on the phone that day and we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God and His love and His sovereignty and, 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 and all that He's done in, in my life and take me from one area and bring me to the next, bring me to His light. And then after we got off the phone, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? Some people don't need you to preach a sermon to them. They need you to live one. you right. They need you to live one. I heard this saying... For you, um, for some people, you may be the only Bible people ever read. The lives we live, okay, have an impact for other people. You have no idea. You have no idea the impact you may have on someone in your workplace, someone on your, on, on your team. You have no idea. I had no idea. He's my supervisor. It's all serious all the time, all straight faced. Turn to Matthew 5, verse 4. Now I'm going to read from the TPT version in my Bible app. I believe it stands for the Passion Translation. I think we were talking about that at prayer. The Passion Translation. What delight comes to you from when you wait upon the Lord? For you will find what you long for. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you? For you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. For you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. Now, for this, let's stop there. For this we can even go back to the beginning when Adam and Eve took what God was going to give them already. So let us wait for God and see what he has in store for us rather than just trying to obtain it for ourselves. I think we oftentimes we do that. We just what God is going to give us already, we just take it for ourselves. And that's the difference between being self-righteous and being righteous. Okay? Because the delight Because the delight that will come to you for when you wait for the Lord, you will find what you long for. You will be surrounded with fruitfulness. Believe me when I tell you this. Waiting isn't easy, it's not. Faith for something you can't see, it's not easy. Persevering isn't easy. It's not. It takes all that you got. It takes all that you got. It takes everything that's inside of you. <laughs> but one day when it comes, one day when that comes, okay, it will overwhelm you. It'll overwhelm you. It'll be too much for you to handle. Too much for you to contain. Too much for you to fathom. Too much for you to grasp. When that comes to you, it'll be more than you ever wish for, more than you ever hoped for, and more than you could have ever obtained for yourself. So wait for the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Because in the meantime, He's doing something with you. It's for your good. It's for your own good that you endure. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. Let me just leave you with this in closing. And this scripture is for everyone here. And I pray that it would just fall on everyone's heart. Turn to Hosea 10 verse 12. sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground until He comes and showers His righteousness on you. So let us pray. Lord, I just pray that we would have the patience to wait for You. We would have the patient to long for your righteousness, to to long for that, that fruitfulness that comes when we wait for you. Lord, help us to be obedient to all that it is that you are saying. Open our ears to what it is that you are saying. Open our eyes to what it is that you are doing with us. Lord, give us the heart to to desire that obedience. Give us the heart to love you back. Give us the heart to walk with you in that joyful, dependent, independence on uh, uh, on you. Lord, I think people here and Lord I think and, and, I, and I hope and pray that your word here today would fall on them would, would plant a seed in their heart that it would not fall on any deaf ears and if there are any deaf ears Lord that you would open those ears and to receive this word today God I thank you in Jesus name Amen